Masech Sukkah Perek Beis Mishnah Hay until Perek Beis Mishnah Ches. At the end of the previous Mishnah, we learned that one is allowed to eat a snack in a temporary manner, not as a fixed meal, outside of the Sukkah on Sukkahs. The halacha is that Teishru Kein Toduru, you're supposed to live in the Sukkah in the same way as you would live in your house during the rest of the year. So just like throughout the rest of the year, you would be willing to eat a snack outside of your house. So to drink Sukkahs, you can eat a snack outside of the Sukkah. The Mishnah brings a story which seems to contradict this, which is strange because in general when a Mishnah brings a story, it's in order to support a law which was stated before that. It's never to contradict the previous law, or to bring another opinion, it's always to support it. So first let's see the story. Mai said there was once a story, it once happened, They brought a certain food, some cooked dish to Rabbi Yechemen Zakai, to taste just a little bit of it. It wasn't to eat a meal, it was just to taste a bit of it. Rabban Gamliel, and they brought Rabban Gamliel in a different story. Two dates and a small jug of water. So in both of these stories, it certainly wasn't a proper meal which they were eating. It was a couple of fruit, water, tasting a little bit of a food. It's not a meal, it's a snack. Nevertheless, the Omru Haluna Sukkah, they said, bring them out to the Sukkah, we're going to eat it in the Sukkah. So at first glance, this contradicts the previous Mishnah. The Gemara explains that they were doing it in order to be strict upon themselves, and the reason why the Mishnah is bringing the story is to tell you that even though in general one needs to be very careful when he is strict upon himself, when he is more strict than the letter of the law says he needs to be, because it could appear to be arrogant. That's not to say that one should never be strict upon himself, but he needs to weigh up the situation and take into account that it might appear to be arrogant. However, in this case, the Mishnah is bringing the story to tell you that you do not need to be concerned about this at all, and although one is not obligated to eat absolutely everything in the sukkah, if he does decide to be strict upon himself and do so, then he is considered to be praiseworthy and that is a good thing. However, the Mishnah now brings another story to reiterate the fact that according to the strict letter of the law, it is certainly not necessary to eat even a snack in the sukkah, as can be seen from the following story, when they gave to Rabbi Tzadik food which was smaller than the size of an egg, and we're talking about a food which one is obligated to wash his hands before eating it, for example bread or wet fruit, the halach is that before eating wet fruit one also needs to wash his hands. But we'll assume, let's say it was bread, they brought him bread which was smaller than the size of a kabetza. Now there is a debate as to what exactly is the minimum amount of bread which one needs to eat to require him to bench Birkas Amazon. According to Rabbi Tzadik, the minimum amount is a kibetza. That's considered a proper meal which satisfies you, but since Rabbi Tzadik was eating less than that at this moment, he would not be obligated to bench Birkas Amazon. Now Rabbi Tzadik also held that if you eat less than that amount, you also don't need to wash your hands. And so the Mishnah says in the Mapa, he took it in a cloth, he didn't want to touch the bread in order to stay clean, not for halachic purposes. The point is, he took the bread without washing, and he ate it, and not only that, he ate it chutz sukkah. He also ate it outside of the sukkah, since he was eating less than a proper meal which necessitates Birkas HaMozayn, so he considered it to be a snack, and according to the letter of the law, it is certainly permitted to eat a snack outside of the sukkah. And he furthermore did not make a Birkas HaMozayn after eating it, because as we explained, he was of the opinion that the minimum amount to necessitate a Birkas HaMozayn is the size of a kibetza, not the smaller size of a kazais, the size of an olive. So since he ate less than a kibetza, he did not say Birkas HaMozayn after eating it. Mishnah Vov. On a regular day, at least in the times of the Mishnah, a person would customarily eat two bread meals a day. Once in the morning, once in the evening. That was the general practice, at least during the times of the Mishnah. 
And because of that, Rabbi Eliezer says, A man is obligated to eat 14 meals in the sukkah throughout the entire duration of the Yom Tov of Sukkot. And that is the same as one on each day of Sukkot and one on each night of Sukkot. There is a requirement of the one needs to live in the sukkah in the same way as he would live during the rest of the year in his house. And so since on an average day, one would eat two meals in the day, so he needs to be particular to do so on sukkahs as well. However, there's no fixed amount for this thing. It's true that on a regular day one eats two meals. But on a regular day one decides whether he wants to eat two meals or not. If he doesn't feel in the mood of eating two meals that day, so he won't. So the best way of showing that you're living in the sukkah in the same way as you're living during the rest of the year in your house is that if you don't feel in the mood to eat another meal, you won't eat it, just like you wouldn't have done so in your house. However, the Chachom do agree that there's one night that there is an obligation with the Eraisa to eat a bread meal, and that is, Chutz Except for the first night of Sukkot, only that, because it is learnt from a Gezeir Shavah, Exer Shavah is when you have two different psukim at different places in the Torah, where there is a common word, or at least a common word root, in both of the psukim, and because of that, certain laws are applied from one posuk to the other posuk. Now, when the Torah talks of the obligation of eating matzah on the first night of Pesach, it says the words chamisha osar, which means the 15th, referring to the 15th of Nisan, and when the Torah refers to the obligation of living in the sukkah, saying that the Yom of Sukkot begins on the 15th of Tishri, so it also uses that phrase, Chamishasar. And so Gzeir Shavay's learnt that just like on the 15th of Nisan, on the first night of Pesach, there is an obligation mid to eat the size of an olive, a kazayis of matzah. So too on Sukkot, the first night, there is an obligation mid to eat a kazayis of bread. In this case, of course, you don't have to eat matzah. The point is you have to have a bread meal, eating at least a kazayis, the size of an olive, of the bread. Alright, continues the mission of Odom Abeliezer. Abeliezer furthermore said, and the Gemara explains very interestingly, that after Abeliezer argued with the Chachomim in the first half of the Mishnah, he later on changed his mind and agreed with the Chachomim, that there is no obligation of eating bread or having meals in the sukkah throughout the rest of sukkah. So if he wanted to, he could just eat snacks for the entire Yom Tov. Just like the Chachomim held. However, even once he agreed with the Chachomim, he still argued on one point, and that is that according to the Chachomim, if one did not eat a kazais of bread on the first night of Sukkot, so he missed out on the mitzvah, it's too late, the Gzeir Shavah is with the first night of Pesach, he has an obligation on the first night of Sukkot, if he didn't do so, then it's too late, he cannot fix that. However, according to Rebiliezer, one who did not eat a kazais of bread on the first night of Sukkot, he can complete it, he can fix it, on the last night of Sukkot. Now, the last night of Sukkot is not, strictly speaking, considered part of the Yom Tov of Sukkot. The last night, the second set of Yom Tov of, of, on Sukkot, is actually Shminyat Seres, which is considered to be a separate Jomtov in its own right. However, in certain regards, it's considered to be a continuation of Sukkot. One doesn't sit in a Sukkot on Shminyat Seres, but for example, if the Karbonis which need to be offered up on the first night of, on the first day of Sukkot, were not offered up, so they can fix that, they can offer those Karbonis up until Shminyat Seres, and including Shminyat Seres. So we see that in some regards, it is considered to be sort of a continuation of Sukkot, and just, just like you would be able to to bring the carbonates of the first Yom Tov of, of Sukkot on Shemini so too if you did not fulfill the obligation 
of eating bread on the first night of Sukkot, you would be able to do so on the night of Shmini Atzeres. There is no solution for the matter, it cannot be fixed, and al Zenemar. About this it is said in the Pasuk, something which is bent and twisted, cannot be fixed, it can never become exactly straight again, and something which is missing, cannot be counted, which in short means it's too late to fix it. Somebody whose head and the majority of his body was in the sukkah, but his table from where he was eating was inside the house. The Shammai Paislin, the Shammai invalidate it. They say it is forbidden to do so. In case whilst one is eating, he doesn't realize, but he will follow after his table, and before he knows it, end up in the house, or end up with the majority of his body outside of the sukkah. Often one leans forward when he is eating, and it's very likely that he will end up eating outside of the sukkah, and therefore Shammai forbid this, so Bishil Machshirin, but Bishil say it is valid and it is permitted to do so. Now the language of Bishamai and Bishilel, valid and invalid, as opposed to forbidden or not forbidden, implies that they are talking about a sukkah, that the sukkah is valid or the sukkah is not valid. And so we have to understand that they are talking about a case where the size of the sukkah is such that it only allows for the person's head and majority of his body to be inside the sukkah, but there is not enough room for the table. And so therefore, Shammai say that the sukkah is considered invalid because there is no way to eat there in a permitted way. So you, obviously you can't live there as if you would live in your regular house. And so the actual sukkah will become invalid. Now the opinions of Shammai Basilel remain the same when it comes to a larger sukkah. Let's say you've got a larger sukkah with enough room for lots of tables, lots of people. But this person decided to eat at the edge of the sukkah with his table inside his house. So again, according to Shammai, it's forbidden. And according to Beis Hillel, it is permitted. Now, another important thing to realize is that Beis Shammai decreed this very strongly, and they said that not only is it forbidden to do so, but if you did so, even if you remained in the sukkah whilst you ate, you have nevertheless not fulfilled your obligation. We'll understand simply that this is referring to a, on a rab- rabbinic level, Midrabbanon, we view it as if you did not fulfill your obligation, and it's as if you ate outside of a sukkah. The Rabbanon didn't just say that it's ideally forbidden to do so, in case you might come to follow your table. They even said that if you do so, it's Midrabbanon, you did not fulfill your obligation, and it's as if you ate outside of the sukkah. And so, Kondwe Shammai, the size of the sukkah also needs to be large enough to hold the person and his table. And that, the Gemara explains, is 7 by 7 tefachim. That would be the minimum size for a sukkah. Did it not once happen? There was a story. The old Talmud Chachomim of Beishamai and Beishilel went to visit Rebbe Yechon and they found him in his sukkah, sitting there, with only his head and the majority of his body inside the sukkah. The shulchan and his table was inside the house, and members of the Shammai and Bishil were there, and they didn't say anything to Rabbi And say Bishilel, certainly, if it was forbidden to do so, so much so that he wouldn't fulfill his obligation if he did it, and it's as if he ate outside of the sukkah, certainly they would have told him something. Omlohem Beis Shammai, Beis Shammai said to them, Mishom Raya, from there you're bringing a proof to your words, to your opinion, you didn't know the end of the story. Afhim Amulai, in fact they did tell him, If this is how you practice, if this is what you did in the sukkah your whole life, then You did not fulfill the obligation of sitting in a sukkah 
in your entire life. So this story is actually a support for Beis Shammai. And again, we see the strength of this decree, Midyabonon, that they said that if you did it, then we view it as if you ate outside of the sukkah. Not just that it's forbidden, ideally. Mishnah Ches, there's a general rule which the Mishnah in Kedushin states that a mitzvah saseh has mangroma, a positive mitzvah to do something which is bound to a specific time, such as shaking a lulav, such as eating matzah, etc., women are exempt from keeping those mitzvahs. Now one exception to that is eating matzah on Pesach. On the first night of Pesach, even women are obligated to eat matzah. Now after learning about the Gzair Shava between eating matzah on the first night of Pesach and eating a meal on the first night of Sukkot, one may have thought that women are also obligated in the mitzvah of Sukkah, that it's not like other mitzvahs of Seishas So the Mishnah tells us that that is not the case. Women, as well as non-Jewish slaves, who have to keep the same mitzvahs as women, Uktanim and children under the age of Barabbas Mitzvah, who with Eraisa are not obligated to keep any mitzvahs, Petrum and Asukah, are exempt from the mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah and living in a sukkah. The Gzair Shava was not said for this halacha as well. Now, as we mentioned, this is with regards to the obligation of Mid Eraisa. But Mid Rabbonon, children who are under the age of Barabbas Mitzvah, once they've reached a certain level of maturity, of understanding, so Mid Rabbonon, they are obligated in Mitzvahs in order to educate them and so they are prepared for when they are after Barabbas Mitzvah. And so the Mishnah says, Cotton Chen Imai. A child who no longer needs his mother desperately, the Gemara defines this as somebody, a child who when he wakes up, he constantly calls out for his mother, and he won't be quiet until she comes. So once a child has passed that stage, it's around half the age of Barabbas Mitzvah, depending on the child, Chai Basukah, he is obligated to live in the Sukkah during Sukkah's Midirabonon. However, Shammai argues, and according to Shammai, it is an obligation on the parents of a child to make sure that that child lives in the Sukkah for a week, for the week of Sukkot, even before the age that he properly understands what a Sukkah is. It once happened. There was a story that the daughter-in-law of Shammai gave birth, and so she had a baby, and he opened up, made a hole in the plaster of the roof, above the bed where his daughter-in-law was lying, and he placed over the roof for the sake of the child, in order that the child be under the sukkah and be living in the sukkah for the week of sukkahs.